that was fantastic. So I titled tonight, I like to give it a title. It's kind of a way to summarize it for myself. The Ruin of Sin and the Relief of Confession. The Ruin of Sin and the Relief of Confession. And I made a quick little list of things that I think we're going to see as we go through these chapters a little bit more in depth. First of all, I think we're going to see how close we all are at any given moment to falling into sin, and in, into these sins, I mean even. We don't think ourselves capable of committing murder or committing adultery, but at any given moment, we are just a few steps away from those sins or any sin, but it doesn't matter because all sin is against God. Secondly, I think we're going to see that staying engaged, and this was a new thought for me, and I, I really like this one, but staying engaged in purposeful, God-ordained kingdom work is a protection against sin. Staying engaged in what you're supposed to be doing, kingdom work, God-ordained kingdom work, that's going to protect you against sin. And that's what David wasn't doing right off the bat in chapter 11. We're going to see that the cost of sin is death. We already know that. The wages of sin is death. But again, we see it here. And we're going to see that the path to freedom is confession and repentance. The path to freedom is confession and repentance. <laughs> He's the best. Look at him. Oh, Stacy. What? <laughs> I, I, well, I didn't actually respond. <laughs> I know. I'll confess, I did it. I just started writing. I was like, oh, he'll be fine. <laughs> now you can read, though. <laughs> Man, talking about noble gentlemen right there. I think, that, I think that was planned. I think the Lord planned that for us. <laughs> so specifically how I narrowed this down tonight, uh, we're going to see five preventative things we can do to guard against sin. So we're going to have five preventative. Hey, I just hit 10,000 steps. Not really. I'm just using my arm a lot. <laughs> five preventative ways. How did I write this down? Yes, five steps preventative care against sin, and then five steps to restoration after sin. So there's not going to be any principles tonight like we usually do. You're going to have these five steps. If you want to go ahead and number one, two, three, four, five, you can. You might leave some space. You might want to jot some scriptures down also. But five steps, preventative care against sin, and then five steps to restoration after sin. So the reality of, of chapter 11 is, is that David, a man after God's own heart, a man who passionately and publicly worshipped God, a man who cared deeply for God's reputation, a man who still leads us in worship today, right, through his songs that I love. I love the Psalms so much. Uh, a man who had studied the law, as we saw when he brought the ark in, a man filled with God's spirit, a man of great faith in a covenant relationship with God. Like, this is not a wicked man. This is a man who loves the Lord, that he, too, can fall fast and furious to the vice of sin. You have to get in perspective who we're talking about. Who would have ever thought that David would be guilty of adultery and murder? You know, you're reading these other chapters, especially like looking at last week at Mephibosheth. It's just, you know, if you, didn't, if you hadn't read ahead, 
this would have shocked you. What in the world? What is going on? Which just tells me that we're really all susceptible. You know, we're, we're all just a few steps away at any given moment to any sin. Not just, you know, what we claim as like little sins or big sins. And I think we definitely have to even mention Matthew 5. You know, I mean, Jesus takes adultery and murder a whole lot farther just by making it a heart issue in chapter 5 of Matthew. So there's even that. I mean, how many of us have hated someone at some point over something? Probably all of us have done that. And the Lord would say, that's murdering them in your heart. So there's a whole different level, whole different ball game that we could raise this to. And we're all guilty. We're all guilty before the Lord, obviously. But here's the problem with saying, well, there's little sin and big sin. Here's the problem with it. Oh, it's just a little sin. Well, 1 Corinthians 5, 6, a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough, right? Leaven in scripture stands for sin. So even a little leaven, you take that yeast packet when you're going to make a, a bread, and what happens? A little tiny packet gets spread throughout this little bit of dough, and it just blows up, right? And it's spread throughout the whole thing. It's the same thing with sin. You can't just sin a little. You're not just going to sin a little. And even if, if you think you can control it, like, I'm just going to do this, and I'm not going to go any farther. I think we, uh, we could talk about dating relationships, <laughs> too. You know, I'm just going to go this far, and we're not going to go any farther. It's so hard. It's so hard not to go any farther. If you're going to allow a little sin, it's, it's going to spread. Sin is like a cancer. I think that's probably the best description that I could think of. It, will, it spreads if you don't catch it quick enough. You know, it, and it spreads fast. It can be very, very destructive. When it comes to sin, then, it's always better to have preventative care than rehab. You don't want the rehab. You don't want to get on that side of things. You want to try and stay on the preventative side of things. So this week, I've been having all kinds of trouble with my ears, and I've not been able to hear very well. And over the week, last weekend, like, I could not hear at all, and I had so much pressure, and my ears were hurting. And so I went to the doctor Monday morning, and I was there at the doctor for an hour. They cleaned, this is really gross, but you guys can handle it. They cleaned my ears out for an hour and a half. And partly because they were having trouble getting any of the wax out that was in there. I have teeny tiny ear canals. And, they were, and it was excruciatingly painful. So much so, I almost could not drive myself home. <laughs> and, I mean, I was shaking. And the doctor kept asking me, are you going to punch me in the face? And I was like, I might. I really might punch you in the face right now. <laughs> But I held it together while I was in there. But as soon as I called Craig, like, I was just sobbing. And it hurts. It was horrible. It was, that's sin. So, not really. That was my ears. But <laughs> that's what, like, if you find yourself on the rehab side of sin, it hurts. It's not fun. It's really painful. It's much better to be on the preventative side of things. It's going to take some work. And so that my, in that example, I'm going to have to figure out how I can take better care of my ears. How I don't know if I need to go see an ENT twice a year. Like, I have trouble with my ears. And I'm going to have to figure out some better preventative care. And I'm going to need some help. You know, it's not something I don't think that I'm going to be able to do on my own. I'll, I think there will be a few things I'll be able to do on my own. But I think I'm going to need some help keeping my ears from getting that plugged up 
and they're also infected. And so I think that was part of the pain. That I'm, it was like they were shooting a fire hose <gasps> inside my ear at like, like at a knife wound. I mean, it was just is I was breathing through it like I was breathing through contractions, <laughs> and I almost passed out. Oh my goodness! And the room was spinning. It was just it was ridiculous. But God gave me this great example. <laughs> <laughs> It's much better to be on the preventative side than on the rehab side. I'm going through rehab with my ears right now. Okay. The stakes are really high with sin. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> the stakes are really, really high. Every sin, not just some sins, but any sin, every sin, sabotages our relationship with God. Every sin. It eats away at our joy. It destroys everything good and righteous in its path. Sin is just, it's just, think of it, just, it's just eating at it. Anything good and righteous in its path. It doesn't, it doesn't let, uh, it, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, everybody's a, it, everyone's a victim, right? It doesn't let anyone go. It's going to get you. So, and so one way or another, sin will lead to death. It will lead to death. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6, 23. James says it this way in James 1, 15. After desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. It, it, there's nothing merciful about sin. God is the one who's merciful. Yet, how do we tend to treat sin? As the poisonous and destructive enemy that it really is? Or more like an annoying neighbor? I think a lot of times we tend to treat sin like it's just kind of like that annoying neighbor. Like, oh, would you just go away? Would you just please put your dog up? Like, that's always <laughs> what I'm thinking about my neighbor. <laughs> you kind of, we treat it like that. But sin is a vicious viper. Let's think about it like that. Sin is a vicious viper looking to kill you. So you wouldn't play next to a hole where you know that there's a vicious viper waiting to kill you, right? You would get away from that hole as far as you possibly could. If somebody told me that there was a vicious viper in my house, I would probably burn my house down. Seriously, I probably, I probably would not go. That's what insurance is for, right? So the accidental match just went off. There was a viper in there. But that's the kind of, of reaction I think we need to have to sin, but that we often don't have to, to sin. Uh, and the way that we need to treat it, it's this cancer that's going to kill us. It's this viper that wants to get us, and we can't play nicely next to it. There was a philosopher that I read, I don't know if you thought, theologian, John own. Have you guys heard of John Owen? He was new to me too. Have you heard of him? I've never heard John of him. Owen? Nope. Owen. O-W-N. Okay. Maybe you Owen say it Owen. Owen. Okay. But that's this is a 17th century guy, but he was brilliant when he said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. I thought that's really good. Mm-hmm. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Okay. So let's get into the text and we're going to see in this first chapter, I think we're going to see five steps to this preventative care. I want to look at the first two verses, which we've already kind of talked about, but we're going to talk about them again. Verses 1 and 2, chapter 11. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. It happened... Late one afternoon, when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house, that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. All right, we've already talked about how it's spring. 
mating season. (laughs) (laughs) The time when kings go out to battle, David doesn't go for whatever reason. This is bad decision number one. He should have gone. He is not where he's supposed to be. So this is the scary truth behind this entire episode. David's downfall began with simply doing nothing. That's how this whole thing started. Isn't that crazy to think about? It wasn't like he went out drinking, you know, and got drunk and partying. This whole downfall started with him doing nothing. He wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing. And therefore, I think he was bored. Honestly, he should have been out fighting with his men, but he wasn't. And I have a feeling he was restless, probably struggling maybe with feeling discontentment, bored. That's why he's walking around the roof. He's been lying on his couch. He's tired of life right now. Because here's the reality of doing nothing. When we don't serve God as we're supposed to, we will struggle with discontentment. Hmm. When we don't serve God the way we're supposed to, we will struggle with discontentment. And discontentment makes us vulnerable to temptation. When I'm discontent about things, you better look out. I'm much, I'm much more vulnerable to all kinds of temptations. Envy, you know, I might, if I'm feeling really discontent and I get on social media, man, everything has everything better than me. You know, it doesn't take that long and you're feeling really sorry for yourself. We assume that pleasing ourselves will make us happy. That's the assumption we're often under. Pleasing ourselves will make us happy, but it won't. It's really serving God that leads to lasting joy. We've been made to serve him, and that's why that brings us that lasting joy, because our souls were made to give glory to God. There is joy and satisfaction in doing the works God's created us to do. Ephesians 2.10. When we're doing the things God's created us to do, we will feel fulfilled. There's a lot less room than, I think, for sin to creep in because you're joy-filled. You're doing what you're supposed to be doing. That leads to more contentment. You guys kind of see how that can help a little bit, right? Even when we're tired, you know, I've been tired a lot lately, but I, I feel like I'm doing a lot of the things the Lord wants me to do. Even when we're tired, even when we don't feel like it, It's just always better to be doing the works that God's created us to do, even if we're tired. Sometimes we need to rest, but even when we're tired. (laughs) David, though, is not doing what God has called him to do from the start of the story. He's not leading his people. He's not engaging in the battle, and that's what a king is supposed to do. He's home. He's napping. He's meandering. He's gazing at rooftops. (laughs) So the first step, as I see it, for preventative care, here's step number one. Stay busy for God. Stay busy for God. Seems so simple, but I think there's just a giant truth there. Mm -hmm. Stay busy for God. And not just for yourself, but for God. Mm -hmm. I think there's a, we can all be busy, you know, and I think sometimes we're just really busy with the wrong things. Mm -hmm. But when we're busy for God and trying to, Lord, what have you called me to do? What gifts have you given me? There's something really satisfying about using your spiritual gift. I'm really selfish that I'm up here, I gotta tell you. I'm so much more joy-filled when I'm teaching than when I'm not. So you're all here just because I wanna be (laughs) joy-filled. But it's a lot of work. You know, I have to get up really early in the morning and spend a lot of time in the Word, and sometimes I'm like, oh, okay, I just need a break. But 
it's so joy-filling to do the works God's called you to do. There might be certain seasons where God wants me to lay it down. Maybe it's not a good season for me to teach or whatever it might be. And there were a lot of years where I did lay it down when the kids were little. And, and that was, there's other ways that the Lord gave me to serve him. So it's always good to ask him. But staying busy for him is really satisfying. Really satisfying. So all this week I kept thinking, well, praise the Lord that I'm so busy. <laughs> praise the Lord, I'm so busy. Maybe he's just protecting me from sin right now. Maybe I would be really tempted by something right now because I'm really busy. And that's a helpful thing because number one, we're going to be a lot more satisfied when we're working for the Lord. And number two, we're just not going to have the time. We're not going to have the time to get in as much trouble as we could otherwise. Okay, move on to verses three and four. Jump in if you have something to say, okay? Verse 3, And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba? Like, okay, stop. He inquired about the woman. Did he go get, like, people? And, like, who's that? I mean, are they all looking at her now? (laughs) Yeah, did they get the binoculars out and they're all looking at her? Or is he like, hey, who lives at 2333 West Jerusalem Street? Because <laughs> I'd really like to know who that is. Like, I'm just kind of curious how this all went down. Okay, anyway, is this not Bathsheba, they tell him, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Just like that. I just love the way scripture sums stuff up sometimes. (laughs) Now, she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Okay, not exactly you want to hear if you have an affair with somebody. Now, I seriously doubt David went on the rooftop with the intention of spying on a naked woman. He could have. He could have thought, I wonder if there's any naked woman, (laughs) any women out there bathing right now. I think I'll go see. He could have. I don't know. I just think he was bored. He's discontent. He's not satisfied with his life right now. But he saw her, and instead of fleeing the situation like Joseph did, Joseph was a great example of fleeing sexual temptation, he lingers. He watches. He inquires. You know, David let his eyes look, and he really liked what he saw. But notice the warning that we have in verse 3. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? This is like a big warning, right? Hey, David, um, this is the wife of Uriah. This is the daughter of so-and-so. She's a person. And also, she's married. This is a warning right here. And I thought of 1 Corinthians 10, 13, when the Lord tells us, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. David could handle this. He could have if he'd been walking with the Lord. But with the temptation, the Lord, he will also provide the way of escape. I think this was David's way of escape. It was a reminder. Hey, she's married. It's Uriah's wife. (laughs) You should not have her. I think this is God giving him a way of escape right here. But he does not take it. Yes. Preemptively of what the consequences would be because those people were all, the, what I read in my Eliam, Uriah, and somebody else, it said that they were part of his mighty men. 
they were oh. out fighting. They were out fighting the battle. So she was unprotected mm. by her men who surrounded her. Interesting. So yeah. I think God was saying, Hey, this is not no, a good no, no. thing. This is not your territory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That I mean the big like God gave him a big stop sign, I think, in this verse. And whoever he's speaking to and that's giving him this information, he just blows right by the stop sign. I don't care. I'm king, and I'm going to do whatever it is that I want to do. Sometimes we just feel like that, right? But you guys, if you take away the bath pump and you replace it with a forbidden fruit tree right here, this is the Garden of Eden all over again. It's really what it is. I want to read to you uh, Genesis 3, 6, and I think you'll see what I mean. So when the woman saw saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate do you see those words in there kind of the same kind of things i saw it was good they saw that it was good delightful to the eyes david is looking she was looking very delightful to his eyes and and she's desirable same thing here, the fruit, and it was desirable. So Adam and Eve determine what is good and desirable and pleasing by what they see in this context here. David does the same thing. He determines what is good and desirable and pleasing by what he is seeing. But what, how are we supposed to determine what is good and desirable and pleasing? By what God says. By what God says. Yes. So what's interesting is in that moment, they were not living by faith, any of them. They were living by sight in that moment. They were seeing, and therefore they were wanting and desiring. And we do the same thing. We choose, when we're sinning, we're often choosing to live by sight instead of living in that moment by faith. So the things that are good, the things that are pleasing, the things that are right, things that are desirable, God has told us what those things are in Scripture. And by faith, we choose to say, yes, those are the things that are good and right and desirable for me. That's what God says is best. I'm going to trust him for that. But where we get mixed up is when we start looking and then determining on our own based on what we're seeing. Actually, I think that's better. Actually, I think I need that. You see how that kind of plays out there that is our struggle still today we see we want we see we want because suddenly what god has already provided us is not enough that's what it comes down to we see and we want because what god's given us is not enough so sin a, a good i think a good definition there's all kinds of definitions for sin we could name sin like we could just yeah we could give it all kinds of definitions here's what i wrote down Sin is throwing God's generosity back in his face. That's what it comes down to, I think. God's been so generous to us. So generous. And sin is throwing God's generosity back in his face. What you've given me, Lord, that's not enough. I want that instead. Or you haven't given me enough. I need this also. I'm going to do it my way. I don't like what your word says. It's throwing his generosity back in his face. It wasn't a sin that David accidentally saw Bathsheba. It was a sin that he kept looking. 
That, that's where he went wrong. It was a sin that all of a sudden, the other six wives that God had given him were not enough. That was the problem. He knew God's word, that taking another man's wife was wrong. But in that moment, what did he do? He took his eyes off the Lord and he kept them on Bathsheba and he walked by sight instead of walking by faith. He looked, he kept looking, and he indulged the desire of his flesh and his flesh went out. So you can kind of see how it just rapidly spun out of control when he was not looking at the right things. So preventative care number two. Fix your eyes on Christ. Walk by faith and not by sight. Fix your eyes on Christ and walk by faith and not by sight. Fix your eyes on Christ. Walk by faith and not by sight. I think it would be a great question if you had a really good buddy, somebody that you could really honest with to have a regular time where they asked you or you asked them do you see me walking by faith or by sight right now I think sometimes we can see that in each other maybe the things we're longing for maybe the things we're talking about Mm -hmm. do you see me walking by faith or do you see me walking by sight I think that'd be a great accountability question especially for women Mm -hmm. you know we have we struggle a lot of times with a lot of different longings we get in so much trouble though when we take our eyes off of Jesus I'm so much less satisfied when I am not looking at him. And just look at how this whole thing spiraled out of control for David. First the adultery, then the cover-up. He is now the king that takes. You know, that's been the thing that he's that we've been so proud of David for. He's the king that gives, just like Jesus. Well, in this moment, filled with sin, he's the king that takes, is what we see here. This is not God's king. So what does it mean to keep your eyes on Jesus? We say that a lot. You know, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts right off the top of your head. What does it mean to keep your eyes on Jesus? What does that mean to you guys? Anything come to mind? We say we need to fix our eyes on Christ. I mean, we can't walk around like this all day long because we would run into things. (laughs) For me, it's a lot of times just dying to self. Lord, your will, not mine. Yeah. Above your own? Above mine, so that mine will match his. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I would imagine there's like a daily asking. Like you're sitting in front of the Lord every day, like, Lord, give me your desires. Or like 20 times. Yeah, 20 <laughs> times a day. Help me have your desires, take away my own desires. That's such a good point, though. It's just like, it is a constant fight mm-hmm. to like, oh, I gotta get my eyes back on Christ. Oh, I gotta start thinking about him again. I'm not where I'm supposed to be right now. And like, we know it. Yeah. You have to take it if you're struggling, but even when you're not struggling, because I feel like, you know, it, sin is like that vapor, you said. It's just right there. Always there. It's always there. And so you have to, I, for me, it's little, like, okay, nope, back on it. Like, yes. I think of a verse or something I read that morning, or just, okay, live by the Spirit. I'm in Romans right now, so live by the Spirit. Okay, go, and then keep going and, like, okay, there's good out of this. Where do I Yeah. Start, you know? Yeah. So I think, I mean, for me, it's more than 20 times a day. <laughs> <laughs> 50, 60. Well, we're all up there with you. Don't worry. <laughs> so it's just... So what I see you doing there to fix your eyes on Christ, I see you reminding yourself, like, throughout the day, both of you, of truth, yeah. of God's word. Like, going back to that. Oh, it's kind of like just, like, 
recalibrating, Mm -hmm. you know, okay, wait, I got to think about the Lord again. Wait, I got to stop myself here. I got to take this thought captive right now. And that's a lot easier to do when you've been in the word to start your day, I think. You know, I think the Holy Spirit has a lot more to work with Mm -hmm. when I've actually been in scripture that morning. He can remind me of that truth throughout the day then. I, I, if you, if this is a place that you feel like personally that you want to go a little deeper, I would encourage you to read Colossians. Um, and you can write down Colossians 2, 2 8, 3, 2, and three sixteen, if you want to. Colossians 2, 8, 3, 2, and three sixteen. The t- 2, 8 talks about not being caught up in like deceptive thinking, you know, not being caught up in the world. I thought all about the pandemic and just a lot. There's so many things we can get caught up in these days and fixing your mind back on Christ. Like that's two eight. Three two is we set our minds on things that are above and not on things that are on earth. And there's times where I have just clung to that verse. Like I've gone on a run and if I'm really struggling with something and it's yeah, probably struggling more like with my attitude or just I'm really upset about something. I will just replay that. I set my mind on things above. I set my mind on things above and not on things on earth. I will set my mind on things above and not on Like You have to dig in sometimes. Mm-hmm. So don't feel like... We all have to dig in. Don't feel like this should be easy. It's not easy. It's not easy to fight against sin. The other one, 316, is uh, talks about um, dwelling in the Word of God, just letting it in, indwell you, being in it richly, and also with that practicing thankfulness. And I think that's a big way also to keep your mind on Christ. Get back to what you're thankful for. I mean, sometimes throughout the, when I'm in the middle of a day and struggling with something, I will just make myself stop and just like, what am I thankful for right now? And I just list, I'll make myself list 10 things and I'm really thankful for it. And it is amazing how my attitude will change. Okay. It kind of puts things back in perspective again, and you can get your mind back on Christ a little bit easier at that time. I also don't want to underestimate just worshiping him. I I absolutely believe worship is our rescue. It can sweep in and rescue us very quickly if we allow it to. So I often tell people, put a worship song on. (laughs) Just worship the Lord. Just stop what you're doing and go and worship the Lord. It will help you. It will help you a lot. So that's maybe some practical ways that you could kind of think about fixing your eyes on Christ. I don't just want to throw out, you know, a phrase that we use all the time and, just, and not talk about it. But that's some good preventative care right there, I think, fixing our eyes on him. Okay, bottom line here with David's adultery. This is kind of coming around. All of this is coming around to this thought right here. David was captivated by Bathsheba because he was no longer captivated by God. That's what it comes down to. David was captivated by Bathsheba because he was no longer captivated by God. This means preventing sin isn't just about suppressing sin. I think so often we just think, I just can't do that anymore. I I just, you know, whatever it is we're trying not to do, we just, we try and play defense. And we need to play offense a little bit more. But we try and play defense, we're just going to suppress that. No, I am not going to eat five packages of Oreos a day anymore. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. But we don't, like, <laughs> we don't replace that desire with the right desire. We don't, we don't go on the offensive side. We just 
stay on the defensive side. So sin is not, er, preventing sin isn't just about suppressing sin, but it's about delighting in God, I think, so that we will love God more than we love sin. It's like replacing that desire. We have a desire for something. I mean, we do, we desire things, right? And if there's that lacking desire, it's probably because you're not filling it with the Lord. I think of just like the little addictions that you have. It may be looking on social media all the time where if you're not fixing your eyes on something else, it's really hard to get out of that. So. Yeah. I, yes. So. And you'll just go right back to that. Yeah. It, what is, I just thought of that uh, scripture where it talks about like, Oh, where the man cleans his house, but then he doesn't. Is that like a demon-possessed man? Like you sweep, Jesus was given a parable, and he sweeps the house all out, but then he doesn't fill it with the right things, and so all the demons just come back in, right? I have kind of that concept. I might be way off, but that's just what came to my head. <laughs> but we don't, if we don't go on the offensive and try and fill our life with that deep desire for the Lord, where we'll love the Lord more than we love the sin, I think we're just going to go right back to the sin again. So I think that's really important. So step three, a preventative care. Delight in God. Delight in God. This kind of goes hand in hand with the worship. So yeah. when you think about any sin or anything in the place of God, like, you know, mm-hmm. our worship should be of him first and foremost. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think Psalm 119, if you guys looked at it in your homework, would fit really well here. Psalm 119. Did you guys look at that this week? Yeah, it, it has some good thoughts, right, in that, in that passage. It said, verse 9 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So there's obviously a, a, a big key there is just meditating on God's word, storing it in your heart, giving the Holy Spirit something to work with every day. But then it goes on, Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. There's a true delight there for God's word. That's just what made me think of that. <clears throat> I will meditate on your precepts and fix, oh, there it is, fix my eyes on your ways. Fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. This is some great preventative care right here <laughs> in our fight against sin. Any thoughts? Great tonight. Me, if I am in God's word, I'm reminded who God is. Yeah. And I can't be reminded of that and not fix my eyes on him mm. and delight in him. I love that. <laughs> yeah. It, if you're looking at God's word and you're not seeing God, you're not really looking at God's word. <laughs> yes. And there's so much to delight in when we spend time with him and dig in and really see his character. When you look at a passage of scripture, don't first and foremost look at it as, what can I get out of this? Look at it as, what does this tell me about God? Mm-hmm. That kind of takes the pressure off of you a little bit, mm-hmm. but it, that's going to focus your eyes on him, mm-hmm. not yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, 
sometimes we just go at scripture so much, all right, give me what I need to know today, and I can move on with my life, <laughs> you know, but it's like, if you just look at the passage and go, what does this teach me about God? Land there for a little while, and I think you'll naturally just like start to delight in him a lot more. Okay, we got to move on. <laughs> the rest of the chapter, verses 5 through 27, we went through the story already a little bit, but David tries to cover his sin, doesn't he? And then ironically, <clears throat> Uriah proves himself to be a rather noble man. A little bit of a problem for David, since Uriah won't go home to sleep with his wife like he was planning on, so he could cover this whole thing up and be done with it. Now what? Uh, well, David thinks, I guess I'm just going to have to kill him. That's the only thing left that I have to do. Not what I want to do, but he leaves me no choice. But David had a choice, didn't he? He had a choice all along. He did not have to go down that path. He could have come clean at any moment. I think we have to recognize that. <clears throat> Excuse me. He could have sought forgiveness from the Lord at any time. And then he could have asked the Lord what to do. I have gotten myself in a big pickle, Lord. <laughs> I don't know what to do. He could have gone to Nathan, but he doesn't. And based on Psalm 32, uh, David was miserable during this season of his life. He was absolutely miserable. I want to go to Psalm 32 for just a few minutes. Psalm 51 is the famous one where David writes his confession after this whole thing. But Psalm 32 are the lessons that he learned from all of this. And it, I wonder if Psalm 32 was written much later. But these are really the lessons that he's learned about sin and confession and forgiveness and the blessing of coming clean and letting go of that. So Psalm 32, 1 through 4 says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Ah, oh, blessed, happy. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Kind of giving his testimony here. It was not good. He was not in good health, I would say, spiritually or physically. When you're trying to cover up sin, when you're living in sin, it is miserable. Especially if you are a believer and you have the Holy Spirit, you're just miserable. It's not fun. David was miserable. And the way he describes it, just his bones wasting away. You can just see the intensity of just what sin does to us here. Our human instinct, though, naturally, is to cover ourselves, right? We want to, I love covering myself with clothes. I, my favorite thing about winter is all the layers that I get to wear. <laughs> That's the best part of winter. Summer is just the, sometimes I'm like, oh man, shorts and t-shirt. <laughs> Can I wear a sweatshirt? Like, I love covering myself. Think of Adam and Eve again. What, what did they do when they sinned, after they sinned? What was their natural instinct? Cover themselves. They went and found fig leaves so they could cover themselves. When we sin, we naturally want to cover it up. We want to hide it. We don't want people to know how shameful we really are so we try to hide it but remember that sin is a cancer right it's really hard 
to detain and hide something that's totally ruining your life, basically. You might try to be able try to hide it for a little while, but you're not going to be able to hide it for forever. Now look again what David said in verse 3. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. When David tried to cover up the sin himself, it didn't go very well. He just got himself into more and more trouble. His strength dried up as by the heat of summer. But look back at verse 1 of chapter 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. In other words, blessed is the one who doesn't try to cover up their own sin, but comes to God for his covering. We want to be covered. So God says, I'll cover you. Let me cover you. I'll cover you with my righteousness. You can come to me. I'll take your sin away as far as the east is from the west. You come to me and let me cover it. I just thought that was so cool to see that. We have this instinct that we want to be covered, but it doesn't work when we try to cover our sin ourselves. It's debilitating when we try and cover it of ourselves. But God's given us this amazing invitation to come to him and let him cover us with his righteousness. Let him take care of it for us. And I just love that it says that Blessed is the man whose sin is covered. Like, happy. Happy is the man or woman who lets God cover his sin. Not the one who tries to cover it up themselves. That's not the happy person. The happy person is the one who knows that they need forgiveness and has experienced it. That's a joy-filled person. The person who knows they need it and they've experienced it. Right? They're, They're the happy ones. So step four of your preventative care list. Confess quickly and let God cover you. Confess quickly and let God cover you. Sometimes it feels so scary to come to God, but it's really not. He wants to cover us. He knows that desire that we have to be covered. Confess quickly and let God cover you. We only have like 10 minutes left and I've not even giving you the other five steps. (laughs) Oh, well. Okay, step five of preventative care. We'll just go through this real quick. Ask God for help. I think that's really important, too. We can't forget that part. So sin is really a spiritual battle. We can't fight it physically within ourselves. We need to fight it spiritually. That's how you're going to win. 1 Corinthians 15, 56, and 57 The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Victory comes through Jesus. Sin is always going to be a spiritual battle. Even though it's got physical consequences, we might be committing physical sins. We fight it spiritually. This made me think of asking God for help. This step made me think of Matthew 6.13 and the Lord's Prayer. What did Jesus tell us to pray? One of the things he said is, to pray and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. He's encouraging us to ask for help. We're going to need some help. I need help with my ears. I'm, just, I'm going to have to ask for help, right? It's okay to ask for help. Uh, one of my favorite verses is Psalm 19:13, And it's, I think it's a, another one of David's prayers, but he says, Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. It's just a prayer. Keep me from 
those deliberate sins that I just sometimes I don't even know that I'm doing. All those presumptuous things. Just help me with those, Lord. It's a, it's a great thing, a preventative thing to pray and to ask God to help you. Help me not yell at my kids today. Help me whatever I'm supposed to do, you know. Help me not look at that picture, those pictures. Help me not, help me with this. Help me be able to go forward, Lord, and just get some help for this. Like, whatever it is, I think we can ask God for help. I also think, and this is just added bonus that I added tonight when I got here, I just think it's a great idea to have a plan. You know, like, if you're going to... Um, if you're going to say that you can't eat, if you're going to not eat pizza for the, for the next year, right? I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I know. But if you're not going to, if that's your goal, I'm not going to eat pizza for the rest of the year, you're going to have to have a plan. What are you going to do when there's pizza in front of you? And if you don't have a plan, you're going to eat that pizza. <laughs> Kayla's like, I'm all over that pizza. <laughs> So if there's an issue that you struggle with, get some help. Have a plan. Find an accountability partner. Go to the Lord. Don't put yourself in the pizza parlor. Don't put yourself in the pizza parlor. Don't go. But then there might be times when pizza's there. And if you don't go into it with a plan of, you know what, I'm going to take my own food. Or I'm going to go. Find a friend I haven't seen in a long time and talk to them. Or I'm going to, whatever it is. I don't know. <laughs> What's that? You're going to eat before you go. I'm going to eat before I go, so I'm not hungry. Yeah, like, whatever the, I just think we need to have a plan. We've got to be proactive if we're going to not find ourselves in situations like David did. And find ourselves, because we will find ourselves caught up in those situations. All right, chapter 12, then. In eight minutes. This will be a flyby. <laughs> Chapter 12. This is really the rehab side of things. I saw chapter 11 as the preventative and chapter 12 as the rehab. David thinks he's gotten away with this little scheme of his, but he hasn't. And as we talked about, he's exposed by God's word, which comes through the prophet Nathan. That's how he's exposed. Nathan shares that story about the lamb and about the rich man, the rich man taking the poor man's lamb. And then David is condemned. And then Nathan's punchline, you are the man. <laughs> just want to know how he said it. I bet he had a really deep voice. Probably re reverberated like throughout the throne room. Instantly, though, David is confronted with his sin and also the consequences of that sin as the Lord lays those out for him. I'll read just a couple of those verses real quick because I think it's important with the cons... Uh, con uh, what's the word I'm looking for? What? Context, thank you. I needed some help there. Okay, verse um, 8, the Lord is speaking. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Wow, what a gen... Like, God is so generous. Talking about throwing his generosity back in his face, like we were talking earlier. He's so, I would have given you more if that wasn't enough, he says to David. Verse 9, why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house. Consequences. So even though we can be restored to the Lord, 
that doesn't mean that we won't have to experience the consequences of our sin. Those can still come, even when there's restoration with, with God. Okay, the sword will not depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. This is what we're going to see next week. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. David said to Nathan after this, I have sinned against the Lord. So at last, he hears these words of the Lord. He's confronted by the word of the Lord. He owns his sin. It's really the word of the Lord that brings everything in front of him and helps him to own it. So how do we experience restoration after we have sinned? What's the path of repentance that we have to take? Because the truth is we're going to sin. <laughs> we have to get over that right now. It's going to happen. We're going to take a wrong turn. Number one, first step. Allow God's word to convict us. Allow God's word to convict us. God's word is alive. It is powerful. sharper than any two-edged sword. It works. Allow God's word to convict us. But like we have said earlier, you have to be in God's word to allow it to convict you. To allow it to work you over. You have to be willing to kind of let it marinate in your heart right so this this is god's word is not only key to preventing sin but it's also the key to restoring us when we do sin i mean the lord's word is just central in this whole thing preventing it and restoring us we really can't live without his word so if you are not daily in god's word you need to be i like beg you to get in god's word every single day let yourself sit there for a little while it's not only preventative, it's also restorative. Secondly, what we see here in the rest, restorative restoration process here, allow godly influences to speak into you. Allow godly influences to speak into you. Nathan plays a key role here in David's restoration. He speaks up, he confronts, he listens, and then he reassures. I didn't read that part. But verse 13 says, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan says to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. He reassures him. Notice that the wages of sin is death. But he reassures you, you're not going to die. The Lord has forgiven you. He reassures him. We need to allow those godly influences to speak into us. We need to make sure they're godly also. I think you need to allow yourself to be in those situations. Yeah. That can speak to you. That's one thing that's so excited about, exciting about our men. Yeah. Like being in so many men being in these groups right now. Like that, that's vulnerable. Yeah. And that's not easy to do. <laughs> exactly right. I mean, to make your, put yourself in that position where people can speak into you and you're willing to listen. Yeah when they do speak into you. Yeah. We need each other. We need the church. We need accountability. We need community. Thirdly, we own our sin. Own your sin. This is a really important step in restoring your relationship with God. In Psalm 51, 
when David writes his, um, right afterwards, he writes this psalm once he realizes that he's been in sin. And he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. He owns it. I know my transgressions. It is before me. Verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. He is owning the fact that he is a sinner. He's not going to deny it at this point. You have to own your sin. Now, right along with that, though, is step number four. You have to recognize that first and foremost, your sin is against God. First and foremost, our sin is against God. And he says that also here in Psalm 51. He says it in verse 4. He says, Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Now we know he sinned against Uriah also. I would say he sinned against Bathsheba also. But he says to you, you only have I sinned. It was bad what David did to Uriah, and it was bad what he did to Bathsheba. But it was even worse how he despised the Lord, how he rejected the Lord, how he threw God's generosity back in his face, how he walked away from him. First and foremost, all sin, any sin, is hatred towards God. That's what it is. It's hatred towards God. We despise God when we sin. That's a strong word that's used here in chapter 12, but it's tr the truth. When God tells him in verse 10, you have despised me. David did these things against other people, and the Lord says, no, 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 you despised me. So in this restoration process of getting back to God, we need to recognize that our sin is really against God. That's really helpful in the whole repentance process. What is repentance exactly? It's turning from sin back to God. It's a change in direction. It's not just feeling sorry for the consequences that we're going to have to endure, but it's agreeing with God that he was right all along. That's what repentance is. He was right all along and we were wrong. So we're going to change direction. We're going to go back to him. That's repentance in a nutshell for you. Fifthly, we believe in God's ability and power to forgive and cleanse. We believe in God's ability and power to forgive and cleanse. Sometimes I think we've been forgiven, but we don't believe it about ourselves. We don't actually believe in God's ability and power to forgive and cleanse. David says in verse 7 of Psalm 51, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. He believed that if God would do it, it would be true. I mean, he, just, he knew. He believed in the power of God's forgiveness and cleansing. We need to believe in that power. If we confess, 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins 
and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need to believe by faith that's true. And then he does that. That's also a really important step in the process. Okay. Now, two things I want to point out really fast because I think they're neat. Right here at the end. David and Bathsheba's son does die in this situation. That's one of the consequences. Because the wages of sin is death. This is, as some commentators say, a pointer, though, to the cross. David sinned and deserved to die, but someone else died in his place. So you see that here. Not only that, but it was David's son who died. And one day, David's greater son would be born for the sole purpose of dying. And that kind of seemed like that was the same with this son here. It's like he was born for the sole purpose of dying. David's greater son would one day be born for the sole purpose of dying. So you get a little glimpse of the gospel there. He deserved to die, but that baby died in his place. And one more thing I want to point out, because I think it's a great way to end tonight. Where this story began with David neglecting his duties as king, it ends, if we go to the end of chapter 12, it ends with Joab calling David into the battlefront, and David goes. He goes where he should have gone in the beginning. He joins them in the battle, and they win, and they capture the city that they were against, and he puts the crown upon his head, and David is restored. You see this picture of David being restored at that point. David sinned, but David repented, and God restored him to the front lines of service. Just because you sin, just because we struggle with sin, doesn't mean that we're rejected from God's kingdom doesn't mean he's not going to use us. That's just what Satan wants us to think. David's restored, but it's all about getting back to God. It's all about restoring your relationship with him. So there's the preventative care side, and then there's the rehab side, the restoration after sin, which absolutely has to do with repentance. So how do we do? Good? Makes sense? This was fun. This was, I thought we had some good discussion tonight, too. So, all right, let me pray.